A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. So glad you're with me on the program today. We're going to be talking about the uh, shooting sports. Uh, something that gun control groups do not actually want us talking about because it's something that gun control groups do not like. The fact that they exist. So, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a moment or two, as well as uh, giving you a preview of some of the uh, big stories of the week to come here in just a second. Before we do that, though, let's talk about this for just a moment. Biden's America, it's crushing us. You've got companies laying off tens of thousands of workers, one after the other. Americans working two jobs just to get by. Inflation pushing hardworking families to the brink. All you have to do is just look at the price of your grocery bill next time you go to the store. And a digital dollar could be coming down the pipeline to completely destroy our way of life. The truth is, you need a plan. You know it, and I know it. And that's why you should call Gold Co., so you can diversify your savings and investments with gold and silver before things get worse. They're a 65,000 winner, 2022 company of the year, with thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. They're offering up to $10,000 in free silver while supplies last. And if you call them today, qualified callers will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So don't wait. Call Gold Co. at 855-412-3806 today. That's 855-412-3806. Now, uh, before we get to our main topic of conversation, um, yeah, I did want to kind of highlight a couple of things going on this week in the courts, especially. So the Supreme Court has given the state of Illinois and the city of Naperville until Wednesday to respond to a uh, emergency request for an injunction uh, filed by uh, the National Association of Gun Rights. Uh, and an individual who is suing, uh, Mr. Robert Bevis, I believe is his name, uh, suing over the city of Naperville's ban on so-called assault bins and large-capacity magazines. And then that, that case was already ongoing, and then Illinois adopted their own statewide ban. Uh, so that ban is being challenged as well. What's interesting here is the court has already rejected one um, uh, attempt to get them involved on an emergency basis, uh, but this is another attempt. Uh, and the court is at least taking it seriously, uh, requesting that, you know, the state of Illinois and the uh, city of Naperville submit their briefs. I, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not particularly optimistic. I wish that the court and I hope that the court will grant this emergency injunction. But given their reluctance to get involved in uh, on an emergency basis uh, since the Bruin decision was handed down, I, 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 I'm just not all that optimistic. But we will be paying close attention. We're also watching what's going on in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. You know, last week, actually week before last, the Fourth Circuit uh, handed down a decision, and this was not, you know, a preliminary injunction or anything like this. This was actually after a trial was held. The three-judge panel on the Fourth Circuit said, you know what, handgun, uh, Maryland's handgun qualification license, yeah, that's unconstitutional. Now, oral arguments in that uh, case were held back in March of this year. The decision came down again in late November. On Wednesday of this week, it will be the one-year anniversary of oral arguments being held in another case in the Fourth Circuit, another case actually out of Maryland, a case called Bianchi versus Brown. This is a case dealing with Maryland's ban on so-called assault weapons. And it was a case that was granted, vacated, and remanded by the Supreme Court after Bruin. So they sent this case back down. They, they accepted it, right? They granted cert. They vacated all of the decisions that had come before, and then they sent this back down to the Fourth Circuit and said, okay, do do this over again in light of what we just said about 
the uh, text history and tradition test. So the Fourth Circuit three-judge panel on December 6th of 2022 heard oral arguments in this case. And one of the questions that's before the Fourth Circuit is whether or not to keep the case there and decide the case at the Fourth Circuit or to punt it all the way back down to the trial court. I am hopeful, given that we've now been waiting almost a year for this decision, that the three-judge panel is not going to punt this case back down to district court. As we've seen with the Ninth Circuit uh, in cases like Duncan versus Bonner, Miller versus Bonner, right? The Ninth Circuit could have decided these cases, but no, 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 no. Let's kick it all the way back down to Judge Benitez's court. And that way it just takes longer for these cases to get back up to the Supreme Court. Again, I, I would like to think that after a year, <laughs> the Fourth Circuit is going to decide this uh, uh, case on the merits. But we don't know when that case is actually going to be decided. I, I would, again, like to think. Actually, I would have thought it would have been decided several months ago. So I'm not sure what the uh, holdup is. Maybe they're waiting for the one-year anniversary. But we do still have Bianchi versus Brown out there in the Fourth Circuit. And again, the one-year anniversary of oral arguments coming up on Wednesday. So we're keeping our eyes on a couple of those uh, situations in the courts. And, of course, uh, all of the rest of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about, you can find, of course, at BearingArms.com. Today, however, we're going to focus on some good news outside of the court system in the court of public opinion. Uh, and that is having to do with the shooting sports. So Courthouse News Service had a really uh, in-depth story and a good story. Uh, over the weekend, Young Guns High School Target Shooting League aims for 100,000 members. Talking about clay target shooting. And they focus, they kind of start their story out talking with a um, kid from Colorado, Nathan Duran, who moved to Brighton, Colorado in his sophomore year. And they didn't have a, a clay target team. Um, he couldn't even, in fact, visit the USA Clay Target League website on school computers because they had blocked all gun-related content. Probably couldn't visit BarryAndArms.com either. So Duran really missed this. He had been shooting before, um, and he wanted to see about getting a team there at his local high school. So he reached out to an assistant principal named Jennifer Miner. Miner said, the answer is always no unless you ask. And after talking with Miner, who is also familiar with trap shooting, um, she decided, yeah, let's do it. She said, Nathan was very calculated. The way that he approached it was, how could you say no to that? He was like, this is why it's safe. This is how we're going to do it. He had it all planned out. And so in the spring of 2021, Miner asked the school's IT team to change the internet security settings so she could access the USA Clay Target League website. And with the school board's approval, she started coaching the school's first team two years ago. Courthouse News Service says in the two years since, Brighton High School's trap shooting team has grown to encompass seven coaches and 50 athletes, including many of the state's top marksmen and women. And this approach that they describe, this very grassroots, uh, you know, interest on a part of a student or interest on a part of a faculty member, that is really what I think is driving the explosive growth in high school uh, trap shooting teams. And there are a couple of reasons for this. 
As Courthouse News Service writes, at Brighton High School and beyond, the breakout popularity of trap shooting represents a reversal of fortunes for the sport. While the pastime had fallen out of favor in recent decades, it was once a popular and common extracurricular American activity, especially at traditional uh, rural parts of the country like Colorado. When Denver South High School was built in 1926, architects included a rifle range in the basement, as was common at the time. Today, that range holds a museum operated by an alumni association. Yeah, I mean, I've talked with folks who remember writing on the subway system in New York City with their air rifle on their way to high school so they could go to air rifle practice in the basement of their high school. This was common. Now, as David Yamane uh, reports or says, he's a professor at Wake Forest University, um, he says nothing that uh, happened since 1999 going forward encourages anybody to want to have robust school shooting teams, right? Talking about School shootings, starting with Columbine in 1999. Courthouse News Service says that with mass shootings in almost daily occurrence, many Americans are more likely to associate firearms with tragedy than with sporting. Uh, He says the Grand American Trap Shooting Competition doesn't make the news anywhere, except maybe in Illinois where it happens. Normal aspects of guns are not newsworthy, and so they tend to be forgotten. And maybe that's right, but I think a lot of this is really about flying under the radar. The Courthouse News Service talks about the Minnesota. Uh, high school trap shooting team, which or, or association, uh, which has grown to tens of thousands of members at the state championship this past year. I think they had something like 7,500 athletes, which is just absolutely amazing. Uh, and this is really the brainchild of a couple of guys in Minnesota who saw this need, put together a couple of teams in their communities, and have really just watched the explosive growth over the years. The uh, USA High School Clay Target team grew from six teams and 60 athletes in 2009 to 49,337 students across 1,647 teams this year. By 2025, they're aiming to have 100,000 participating students nationwide. According to an internal survey, 40% of those students on trap teams don't participate in other sports. And so without this, a lot of these kids would not have any extracurricular activities at all. But trap shooting offers them a way to compete on a level playing field. Uh, You know, if you are the 14th best uh, football player, you might not get a lot of playing time at your high school, right? If you are the 10th best basketball player, you're probably not going to get a lot of time on the court. But everybody who wants to participate in trap shooting gets to participate in trap shooting. Again, in Minnesota, you had thousands of athletes who were competing at these state championships because it was an open competition, right? So that first round, well, you got a lot of competitors, and then they get weeded out, and eventually you find your champion. But in doing so, everybody, again, gets a chance to participate. And that is huge. When we're looking to, you know, get our kids involved in activities, get them away from screen time, have them touch grass, trap shooting is a great way to do this. And again, the fact that we've seen such explosive growth, I think, is just a testament, uh, not only about the uh, the popularity of trap shooting, but about how fun it is. It, you know, if it wasn't fun, if it wasn't a good time. People wouldn't be doing it. But, you know, I talked about this, I don't know, maybe 
Well, about a month ago, I guess. John Petrolino, Charlie Cook, riding shotgun with Charlie, uh, came down to Farmville late October. We uh, took my wife uh, shooting sporting clays for the very first time in her life. Now, again, most people don't wait until they're in their, you know, well, I'm not going to reveal Missy's age. I, I'm smarter than that. But uh, they don't wait until the prime of their life <laughs> to, uh, to go out and do this. But she did. And even though this was her very first time shooting sporting clays and she had to make some adjustments, she's got a, a, a port put in to help deliver the uh, chemo drugs, uh, which makes it a little bit different, uh, difficult to, to shoulder the shotgun. But she made those adjustments and she had a good time. She had a great time. You know, the uh, uh, first couple of shots she missed. And I could tell that she was getting a little frustrated. But then we went to the second stand, and it was her second shot at the second stand. The target just evaporated. And I can't repeat what she said because there was an expletive involved. <laughs> but it was an expletive of delight. Holy bleep! I, I can't believe it. And from then on, man, she was hooked like the corner had been turned. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get her out there in July or August when it's, you know, 90-something degrees and 80% humidity in Central Virginia. But... She's definitely going to go again because she had such a great time. And so when you get, you know, teenagers involved in this activity, you are really giving them a, a, a gift that they can take with them for the rest of their lives. Something that they can participate in, something they can share with their friends and family and activity that, again, they can do until they're old and gray. Courthouse News Service uh, talked about another uh, team in Brighton. Eagle Ridge Academy, where trap coach Josh Contreras says he likes to watch the students progress. One girl, he said, went from shooting six to hitting 37 out of 50 targets. And a boy who recently celebrated hitting his 10th target, Contreras said, he's like, where'd my clay go? And I was like, you turned it to dust. <laughs> he says, these kinds of things make me happy. Seeing the kids smiling when they finally get it dialed in and they're hitting the clays. And I know exactly what he's talking about. You know exactly what he's talking about. You've probably had that moment yourself where you all say, I get it. Or you've taught your kids, or you've seen your friends, right? That magic moment where the light flips. And no, you're not. You haven't turned into an Olympic champion. No, you might not get 50 out of 50. But all of a sudden now, it starts to make sense. You got the trajectory, you, 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 and, and you get it. And once that switch has been flipped, again, I just think this is such a, a fun uh, and worthwhile endeavor that people will stick with. Contreras and his sons actually started the team at uh, Eagle Ridge Academy after seeing a USA Clay Target League ad on Instagram. And he too was worried uh, at first about getting pushback from school staff, but he said they've encouraged him. He said, we have the benefit of our principals being scouts. So they grew up shooting and they know what the sport's about. And as long as we're safe and responsible, we can have a team. I always feel like sports is a great gatherer of people. Their team had 13 kids last spring. This fall, 33 signed up. Now, again, <laughs> why does that happen? David Yamane said that uh, he doesn't think there are, you know, many folks in the uh, sporting clays community or the trap shooting community that's, uh, that are out there, like, actively trying to indoctrinate kids into being pro-Second Amendment through the use of, you know, youth shooting sports. The gun control advocates absolutely believe that to be the case. I don't think you have to. 
I think you have to get these kids in. Okay, now we're going to talk about your right to keep your arms. I, I think you have to do that. It can be a sport. It can be an activity. But because it is so much fun, because it is so rewarding, because the kids who the first year a team uh, starts to operate, those kids who sit on the sideline, they don't, they, they don't participate. They see how much fun the other kids are having. That's how you go from 13 kids the first year to 33 the second year. That's how you go from uh, you know a league in Minnesota with six teams to 400 teams, right? And 60 athletes to 6,000 athletes, and then 16,000 athletes. It's not because the adults are making kids do this. It's because the kids themselves understand how much fun it is. And ultimately, that's what the gun... Well, that's, that's not the only thing the gun control advocates hate. But they do hate that it's fun. Because you can't obliterate a culture of gun ownership when you have even, you know, fuddy activities like sporting clays or trap shooting taking place. And a new generation coming on board and understanding how to be safe and responsible with firearms, absolutely. But understanding the pure and mitigated joy that comes with pulverizing a clay target and knowing, I did that. I shot that. To try to be the best that you can be competing against yourself, but having that place on the line, knowing that, again, even if you are new to the sport, you still get to take part. You still get to participate. The barriers to entry are, are so low for most student-athletes compared to, again, varsity sports like football or basketball or baseball or wrestling. And because the barriers to entry are so low, yeah, there is some expense involved, right? Although groups like the USA Clay Target League are trying to do what they can to mitigate those expenses. But there is still an expense. But Still, once you've made that additional or that initial outlay, you know that you've got a place on the team. I, I just think that is so valuable to a generation of kids who, again, we worry about them feeling alone. We worry about, I, I think I saw a poll a couple of weeks ago talking about the percentage of Americans who feel lonely. And I was really surprised to see that the age range that is the least lonely are the oldest Americans. At first, I was really taken aback because I, I, I thought, well, I mean, gosh, you get older, your friends pass away, maybe you move, maybe you're in an uh, old age home, but you're still around a community, right? I mean, those older Americans uh, who, who grew up and, and, and got old before the rise of social media, they, they're still connected. But I think they've also maybe maintained those face-to-face -face connections. The cohort that felt the most loneliness was actually youngest Americans. Uh, those Americans, now I don't think they served uh, surveyed teenagers, but I think it was 18 to 29-year-olds. They were the, the age range that had the, it was something like 80% said they felt lonely. They didn't have anybody to talk to. And in those cases, I think in large part, what you're looking for is that sense of community. 
you're looking for places where you can find friends. And in order to do that, I mean, it, look, it's possible to do that online, certainly. But it's also sometimes difficult, <laughs> given how obnoxious a lot of people can be online these days. And so things like the Clay Target League, I, I think, are a wonderful way to get that youngest cohort of Americans into a community of like-minded individuals where they can make those friendships that will last a lifetime. And again, the uh, growing popularity with, uh, you know, the Clay Target League aiming for 100,000 student-athletes by 2025, and, and they're on track for that goal, I think really, again, speaks to the strength of our Second Amendment community. Not only the activists out there, who obviously are very important. We don't have a Second Amendment community without the activists. But, again, most of us own firearms because we want to protect ourselves and our families, right? Self-defense is the number one reason to own a firearm. But target shooting, plinking, competitive shooting, that, that's not unheard of. And it is a fantastic way, I think, to keep our right to keep and bear arms alive for generations to come uh, by exposing kids to these shooting sports, getting them interested, and giving them an experience again that they'll want to replicate over the course of their lifetime. And we're talking a lot about the uh, Clay Target League, but uh, there, this is not the only uh, organization out there. In fact, um, I ran across another headline today from uh, Shoto, Oklahoma, where the Shoto Elementary Air Rifle Team Won the national championship in Missouri. Here's a look at the uh, Shoto Elementary Air Rifle Team and a couple of the uh, individual winners there. This was at the uh, Air Rifle Championships in Festus, Missouri, held over the weekend. Uh, and again, they've got categories for elementary, middle school, high school. Uh, in the individual category, Harper Emery of Shoto Elementary won the girls' national championship. Grady Bullock Brought home the uh, Boys Division Championship in the elementary age range. By the way, the Shoto team, this is their very first year competing. The uh, school's outdoor education instructor, Kenny Helton, started the air rifle program this year, saying it helps promote safety. And basic air rifle skills complements the safety of the other shooting sports. So, you know, it's not just clay targets. It's not just trap shooting. Um, we are, I think, seeing a renaissance. Now, it also is worth noting, this is Oklahoma, right? This is not New York State, where uh, clay target and trap shooting not recognized as a varsity sport, even though there are plenty of teams there and thousands of student-athletes. It's still not recognized as a varsity sport in New York State. And a lot of other anti-gun states not recognized either. So it, it, it is worth noting, and I am aware, that this elementary uh, air rifle team that won the national championship from Oklahoma, a state I'm very familiar with, spent a lot of time there, grew up there, and yes, it is a... A uh, very Second Amendment-friendly state. And maybe that's the big challenge. We know that there's this interest, and I don't think that this interest is relegated only to red states. So, I mean, actually, you know, you look at a state like California, they've got a pretty vibrant youth shooting sports program. One of the reasons why uh, the Democrats, and uh, including Governor Gavin Newsom, went after youth shooting sports with... Um, uh, that law that uh, basically said uh, if you uh, advertise or market anything that might be appealing to minors, yeah, yeah we're going to punish you for that, right? 
And a Ninth Circuit panel uh, said, actually, it was a Ninth Circuit judge. I don't think it's gone up to the uh, full Ninth Circuit panel yet. This is a U.S. District Court judge in the Ninth Circuit said, yeah, it's unconstitutional. You're infringing on people's First Amendment rights by uh, curbing their speech. But how do we get these leagues and these programs uh, in place in these locales that are hostile to our right to keep and bear arms? I think that's the big challenge. And honestly, I, I don't have the magic solution, but I think one way maybe to start to make those inroads is to show the positive impact that these extracurricular activities are having on kids. And maybe asking these anti-gun officials, why do you want to deny the kids in your care? the students in your school district, that same opportunity. Do you not think they're responsible enough? Do you not think they're safe enough? Is there something inherently flawed with your student body that's not the case for all of these high schools in Minnesota or Colorado or even California? Again, I don't know what the perfect solution is, but I do know that given the benefits of the uh, youth shooting sports, we do need to keep ensuring access, not just in small towns, not just in rural spaces, but from coast to coast. Maybe one day we can actually have a high school built with a new air rifle range in the basement. All right, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of Chicago where uh, two men who got probation for a beating on a, a red line train have been arrested once again. Yep. You know, uh, Chicago's Transit Authority is one of those places that bars people from lawfully carrying firearms. It doesn't stop armed robberies, doesn't stop uh, assaults like this. Uh, CWB Chicago reports, last November, a CTA passenger pulled an emergency escape lever and jumped from a moving red line train to escape a group of robbers at the Roosevelt station in the loop. He was riding a northbound train, five men approached him, asked for cigarettes. It was about 1.45 in the morning. The guy said, I don't have any. That's when the group circled around him, started beating and robbing him. The victim lost about $30 and, yeah, some cigarettes. Uh, pulled out a box cutter to stop the attack. The group then backed away, allowing him to pull the train's emergency lever and then jump from the moving rail car. The group also exited the Roosevelt station, started kicking the victim again. Three offenders got away. Two others actually stayed on the platform, and Chicago police officers were able to take him into custody. Uh, the victim identified 20-year-old Gavon Easter and 22-year-old Terrence Hardy as two of the men who attacked and robbed him. They were both charged with robbery and battery. Hardy ended up pleading guilty to a reduced misdemeanor battery charge in June in exchange for a sentence of two years probation and 100 hours of community service. Less than a month later, CWB Chicago writes, on July the 3rd, Chicago police arrested Hardy again. Officers were at a gas station when they suspected Hardy had engaged in a hand-to-hand -hand transaction. Uh, and so they stopped him, found a loaded handgun with a 30-round magazine attached to his backpack. They did not find any drugs to support their belief that a, uh, you know, little drug deal had taken place. But they did charge Hardy with felony aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. He's due in court again back on January 18th. Easter, meanwhile, pleaded guilty to felony aggravated battery of a transit passenger on September 21st, but was sentenced to two years probation. 
Prosecutors dropped a charge of possessing a stolen motor vehicle that he had pending at the time of the incident as well. So it was a twofer. And then about a month later, October 26th, Easter was arrested in the Streeterville neighborhood on a misdemeanor shoplifting allegation. He is due in court in that case on Wednesday of this week. CWB Chicago reports that on November the 12th, he was also arrested again and charged with misdemeanor retail theft. That case has not yet appeared in the clerk of court computer system. But here you have two guys, uh, again, arrested, charged with pretty serious offenses, allowed to plead down to basically nothing. And um, I guess they're looking at gift horse in the mouth because they've both been arrested once again. Uh, Thankfully, on relatively minor charges this time around, but... uh, and is not always the case here when we're talking about our recidivists. Now, today's uh, armed citizen story from Los Angeles, where a homeowner opened fire after four armed men broke into burglarize his home, killing one of the four. Happened over the weekend. Again, why does somebody need more than 10 rounds in a magazine? Well, because sometimes you've got multiple assailants. This was uh, early Saturday morning. Officers are called to a home in the Granada Hill section of the San Fernando Valley, north of Beverly Hills, around 5 o'clock Saturday morning after someone had reported a burglary where the homeowner is present. Uh, when the officers arrived, they determined that approximately three or four armed males in their 20s entered the home with the intent to burglarize the location. LAPD uh, says a suspect pointed a weapon at the victim, and while the suspects were inside the residence, the victim produced a firearm of the own, and a shooting occurred. One of these suspects hit by gunfire, died of the scene. The uh, name of that deceased burglar has not been released. The other three suspects fled the scene. Police say a, a trail of blood suggested at least one of them had been injured. Um, the homeowner was not alone inside the house. There was a grandmother in the home. There was a toddler inside of the home. Um, the homeowner apparently was uh, detained, taken to a, a, a police substation, but was released without charges. Um, LAPD Valley Bureau Chief, uh, Deputy Chief Alan Hamilton said the investigation is ongoing. So it'll be up to uh, the DA's office, <clears throat> Georgia Gascone's office, to determine if charges will be filed in that case. Uh, but he did say anyone inside their residence that is faced with a deadly threat and is perceived as a deadly threat has the right to protect themselves. Given that that's exactly what happened here, maybe this is the uh, LAPD telegraphing to Gascone's office. We don't really think the charges are warranted, but we'll see what uh, George Gascon's office actually does with this case going forward. And finally today, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Phil Taylor. Phil Taylor in, uh, I believe this is Thornton, Colorado. I got to tell you, I, I we need more people like Phil. Here's the headline. Man saves neighbors from burning apartment building. Phil Taylor stayed inside the building to help his neighbors escape the flames. And there is Phil on his neighbor's ring doorbell camera, pounding on the door, letting his neighbor know, hey, the apartment is on fire and you need to get out. This was last Wednesday morning, just before 2 a.m. At least three units were destroyed, including Phil's, but everybody inside the building managed to make it out safely. Phil Taylor said his daughters, who were 10 and 13, were asleep, but they woke up to the sound of crackling. When they opened their eyes, they noticed that the balcony of their apartment was on fire, and they immediately woke up the rest of the family. Phil Taylor says, I saw the biggest flame of my life. The whole balcony was in flames. So he said, I was beating on doors. My daughters were beating on doors. 
but he shooed his family outside and he stayed in the burning building. He said, I was doing all the screaming and yelling. I was making sure everybody knew what was going on. If I didn't see him leave, I was beating harder. Three-story apartment. He's knocking on doors. He's helping families escape. He said he knew that what he was doing was dangerous, but he said his instincts took over. He said, we didn't hear any alarms until the fire truck showed up. So if it weren't for Phil channeling his inner Paul Revere, a lot of these residents may not have ever known that that fire was taking place. Channel 9 News in Denver says throughout all of this, Taylor hasn't stopped working. His employer, Full Speed Automotive and Grease Monkey, surprised his family yesterday with a $10,000 check to help them through the situation because they've lost everything except the clothes that they were wearing. And as you saw in that uh, ring doorbell cam, Phil didn't even have a shirt on. He didn't have shoes on. I mean, he's running around in, uh, you know, early December in shorts, making sure that his neighbors got out safely. So his employer gave him a $10,000 check to help him through the situation. Um, Company spokesman said, we have a strong people first culture at Full Speed Automotive and Grease Monkey. And for us to find out that Phil went above and beyond to get his neighbors out, moved all of us, as this heroic act was the epitome of putting other people first. On top of that, they said after such a traumatic ordeal, his primary concern was getting back to work to make sure that his customers were still getting the services they needed. And presumably so that Phil could keep getting paid, right, to help rebuild his family's life. That is a true testimony, um, the family the company said, to his character, and it exemplifies our uh, people-first culture. Uh, they are now hosting a gift drive for uh, Taylor and his family in Thornton at uh, one of the locations there. I hope that the community turns out in a big way to uh, support Phil Taylor. Again, in the right place, at the right time, will then enable to do the right thing to not only save his family, but to save his neighbors as well. So, Phil, we thank you, sir, for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. We're going to be talking with Larry Keene from the National Shooting Sports Foundation tomorrow about the Go Safe Act, the uh, new gun ban introduced by Senator Angus King and uh, Senator Martin Heinrich. Yeah, all kinds of bad news in that uh, gun ban bill. We're going to get to the bottom of it with Larry. Looking forward to uh, talking with him about that. But don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day today and tomorrow to keep you updated on all the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Who knows, maybe even a decision from the Fourth Circuit in Bianchi. I'm not holding my breath, but I'd love to see it. And uh, don't forget, check out uh, our VIP pieces as well. Would love to have you as a VIP or VIP Gold member. If you want to support the independent pro segment of journalism we're doing at Bearing Arms, all you have to do, go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. You get a significant savings on your VIP membership, and we give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.